0: We'll get to Searching the Scriptures today in the February issue of The Lutheran Witness. We're going to take a look at, uh, continue our series as we're looking at the Apostles' Creed in the Searching the Scriptures series. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu.
1: Live Uncommon.
0: Joining us this morning, the Reverend Roy Askins, Managing Editor of The Lutheran Witness. Good morning, Pastor Askins. Good morning. Good to be here always good to get to study God's word with you today. Uh, We're going to dig into the creed. We're continuing this. uh, There's a theme this year where we're working through the Apostles' Creed in searching the scriptures, right?
2: That's right. Working kind of phrase by phrase through the Apostles' Creed and learning where each of these phrases or words come from and finding their roots in the scriptures. So...
0: All right, so what what area are we zeroing in on today? What part of the creed are we zeroing in on today?
2: Today we're zeroing in on the second article of the creed and understanding what we confess about Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done for us. Uh, this teaching about Jesus Christ is really kind of the heart and soul of Christian doctrine. Uh, and so it's really a, a key part for understanding what we believe and why we believe it. Uh, and so in the Apostles' Creed, uh, in the second article you get a wide range of topics discussing Jesus Christ and who he is what he does today we're diving really and focusing really on uh, the divine nature of Jesus Christ um his uh, his role and place as the son of god uh, in particular
1: so we're we're focusing on that first phrase and in Jesus Christ his only son our lord so let's let's dig into these questions i think we ran out of time last time so read philippians <laughs> 2 Five through 11. This passage is perhaps an example of an early Christian creed. At whose name will every knee bow? What will every tongue confess and why? So, Pastor, would you like to read Philippians 2, 5 through 11?
2: Sure. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality a God with, with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, So, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, is often understood as a proto creed or one of the first uh, creeds used by the Christian church. Uh, It is believed that this was uh, a summary of the apostles' teaching about who Jesus is and what he has done, and that Paul calls it to mind uh, to the mind of his readers as he's writing here in Philippians chapter 2. And and just a few things to note about this passage, um, that this mind of Christ, this mind of Christ that does not uh, grasp for God's uh, power, but empties himself and becomes humble. This is actually ours in Christ Jesus. What a great insight that that Paul proclaims here, that we actually have this humility. It is given to us by being the children of God. So that's just kind of an interesting insight there. But the point of this passage here is to point out uh, Christ's place uh, as the the Son of God and his role as the Son of God, that that, that to him is given the name above every name, right? And that at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And what do they confess? That Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the Son of God. Even those who rejected him, even those who have rejected the gifts that he gives, even those who have rejected his uh, life and death on their behalf, uh, even they will, on the last day when he comes to judge the world, uh, confess that he is, in fact, the Son of God, uh, the Lord of all creation.
0: Hmm. Anything else on question one, or are we ready to move on to two?
2: Oh, uh, I think that gets it. That was awfully fast for question one, wasn't it? It we're was. Not used to this that, that fast. <laughs> <laughs> question
0: two, and in Jesus, is the next phrase that we're looking at. The name Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. So read Deuteronomy 34, Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9, and Matthew 1, verse 21. What do we learn about Jesus from Joshua, and what does Matthew tell us about what Jesus' name means?
2: So one of the things we're going to get at in this passage, or in this study in particular, is, is how the Old Testament prefigures or foreshadows many of the things that are coming in the New Testament in Jesus Christ. And one of these is Joshua. In theology and exegetical theology, we call this uh, typology or type and antitype. So you have this prefigurement of who Jesus is, this type in the Old Testament, and Jesus is the antitype, the fulfillment of what happens in the Old Testament. And we see this perfectly in the name uh, Joshua and the role of Joshua in the in the Old Testament. So if we look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 34, and we don't have time to read all of this, but this passage is effectively uh, the death of Moses, and uh, and then the the authority and responsibility for bringing the people of Israel into the promised land falls to, to Joshua. And so this passage uh, goes through how Uh, God talks to Moses how he dies there and God provides for his death and then verse 9 says and Joshua the son of Nun was full of The spirit of wisdom for Moses had laid his hands on him So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord commanded Moses and there has not arisen a a prophet since in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt Uh, and so on So the point being the authority and responsibility for bringing the people of Israel uh, into the promised land falls to Joshua. Now, why is this important? Well, the name Joshua is key to understanding this. Joshua and Jesus are the same name. They both mean Yahweh, God is salvation. Joshua is the prefigurement. He is uh, the Joshua, the, the 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 God. How God brings the people into their salvation, into their promised land. God does it through Joshua in the Old Testament, and now we see the new Joshua, the new Jesus. That's just the Greek version of. Of Joshua, how God now brings us into the land of salvation uh, through through Jesus, and this continues. you see this also in uh, the Joshua passage, so um, God commissioning Joshua again, uh, and once again, I don't know that we have time to read this this whole passage, um, but God giving his promises to Joshua and sending Joshua to do this. Now all of this comes to to fruition in Matthew chapter one, verse twenty one and this we will read. Uh, this is the uh, first chapter of Matthew. We have the the uh, genealogy going on here in Matthew, and then uh, and then we hear about Joseph hearing that Mary has has uh, conceived and getting ready to divorce her, uh, but doing it quietly. Uh, but then the Lord appears to jo- to uh, Joseph and says, "Don't do this." And then he says, "This she will bear a son, and you shall call his name." Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, right? So this this name, Jesus, Joshua, why he is the one that doesn't merely bring them into an earthly promised land, but is the one who saves them from their sins and brings them into the eternal promised land, the eternal kingdom, the eternal kingdom of God. So you have Joshua is the type, Jesus is the anti-type, the fulfillment. We see a, a little picture of what Jesus will do in Joshua. Jesus fulfills this in his life, suffering, and death. Uh, for the world.
1: Mm -hmm. Anything else on question number two, or shall we move on?
2: Uh, I think that about gets it. Uh, All right.
1: All right. Question number three, Christ, the name Christ. Read John 1, verse 41. What does Christ mean? The Old Testament word Messiah means anointed. Read Exodus 28, 40 through 43, and 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 13. What types of people were anointed in the Old Testament? And what does this teach us about the Christ and his role on earth? Why don't we tackle the first part? This is like two questions in one, really. Well, it's a whole bunch of questions in one. <laughs> this is
2: how I do it. Okay, so tackling the the first one, John 1, chapter 41. Uh, and this is really, I, I included this simply to help us understand, once again, the connection between Messiah and Christ. So John chapter 1, verse 41. This is uh, Jesus uh, is is uh, calling the first disciples here in the Gospel of John. Okay, and uh, this is after John the baptizer has pointed these to Jesus and say, ah, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the Lord. Or the, behold the Lamb of God, and the disciples follow him, and then and then Jesus uh, calls them to stay with him. And, uh, and then it says, one of the two who had heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And then verse 41, he first found his own brother, Simon, also Peter, right, Simon Peter, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Okay, so like Joshua and Jesus, Messiah and Christ are essentially the same word, right? Messiah is the Hebrew version, Christ is the Greek version, and they both mean in English, anointed, right, the anointed one. So if we were to do like a comparison here, Uh, If we were to say Christ Jesus in Hebrew, we might say Messiah Joshua, right? That's literally what this means. Uh, Jesus is uh, the Messiah, or Christ is the Messiah of the Old Testament. So the question then becomes, well, what does it mean to be anointed? Why do we call, uh, why were they looking for the Messiah, right? What what does this mean for who Jesus is? Once again, getting back to the idea of type and anti-type, what are the types in the Old Testament, associated with the idea of being anointed, and for that we can go to Exodus chapter twenty-eight through forty uh, twenty-eight verses forty to forty-three. The next section here, uh, and this gives us a picture of one of the roles of anointing in the Old Testament. Uh, Moses writes, "For Aaron's sons, you shall," and this is God's uh, proclamation to him about about the the temple for the tabernacle furnishings. And what uh, Moses is to do for Aaron and his sons as they as they serve the Lord in the tabernacle. Moses writes, For Aaron's sons you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty. And you shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him. And shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thigh, and they shall be on errand and on his sons when they enter into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever for him and for his offspring after him. Okay, so let's dig into this a bit. Uh, why, why do all these things take place? Why do they have these these garments and these anointing? Uh, first off, notice how God actually commands Aaron or, or, or Moses to make for Aaron these clothing and that they are to be for glory and beauty, right? Uh, this is all throughout the tabernacle. This is made for glory and beauty uh, out of reverence and great respect for God and his coming among the people, among his people. Um, We try to do this in a similar way uh, here in the church, right? We make our sanctuaries beautiful. We adorn them with artwork. We put uh, vestments on our pastors. We put uh, vestments on the the altar, right? We call them uh, the, the, um, oh, the word just escaped me. What's the word? The uh, pyramids. That's what I'm looking for. I knew one of you had it. I wasn't too worried. Uh, We make all of these things. Uh, for for uh, beautiful, right? Uh, as we come to, uh, to receive God as he comes to us uh, in the divine service. And it's not just the fact, it's not just that these things are expensive, right? As a missionary, I traveled all uh, all over Asia. And I'll never forget in the Philippines, uh, in a very, very poor area of the Philippines, we had to get there by riding on scooters, on dirt tracks for two hours, and then hiking for another 45 minutes into the jungle, right? And yet they did everything they could to make their sanctuary a place of beauty, uh, for the sake of, the, for to give thanks to God uh, for how he was coming among them. So these beautiful furnishings. But the point here is that these things, these furnishings, these garments, and this anointing marks the priests off uh, for special service, right? Uh, they are marked off. Why? If they are not marked off, if they are not consecrated and set apart, uh, God says, lest they bear their guilt and die. It is on account of this anointing and these, these vestments that have been set apart, that they are covered, their sin, their guilt is covered, uh, and they can come into the presence of God uh, without guilt. Well, Jesus now is the new high priest, the anointed one through whom we have access to God the Father, right? We don't need special holy underwear anymore. We don't need a special holy anointing uh, because Jesus is the one through whom we have access to the Father. He is the anointed one, the Messiah, uh, who comes to, to be our new high priest. Okay, so that's the first one. Uh, let me dig real briefly into the other idea of anointing here that we have in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16. Because one of the other things the, uh, the Israelites would do is they would anoint their, their kings, right? So this is what happens in 1 Samuel 16. The Lord sends Samuel to go and anoint uh, one of the sons of Jesse uh, to be uh, king over, over uh, Israel. Let me find here where I'm looking. Uh, so, so Samuel goes to Jesse. He's looking. Jesse has all of his sons pass before him. Uh, and, and God says, nope, not this one, not this one. Uh, and then uh, Samuel says to Jesse, so this is beginning kind of at verse 11. Samuel said to Jesse, are all of your sons here? And he says, there yet remains the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep, right? Nobody's gonna, he's not the prettiest or the handsomest. He's, he's out keeping the sheep. And, and Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him for we will not sit down till he comes. He sent him and brought him. Uh, and then the Lord said, Arise and anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So uh, the kings of Israel were also anointed uh, in service as to, in order to be king over the people of Israel, And this was often accompanied by the dwelling of the Holy Spirit or the coming of the Holy Spirit, as you see here in verse 13, the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. So, so also in Jesus, he is the Messiah, the anointed one, who also rules over us as king, right? Three kingdoms, for those of you who remember your catechism class, power, grace, and glory, right? He has all authority in heaven and earth. All of this is his. He rules over us uh, as king. Uh, and he governs all of his creation as king. So this is what all of this idea, all of these ideas and, and more are tied up in this idea of our confession that Jesus is Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one.
0: We have more to study with Pastor Askins here in just a moment. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. And as we continue searching the scriptures here on the Coffee Hour, I'm Eddie Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golsa. My part-time service in the Army National Guard makes it possible for me to be more for the community I call home. I'm a better neighbor because my service has taught me how important it is to be a team player. My training helps me in my classes when I give attention to detail to the task at hand. My service in the Army National Guard allows me to keep my country safe from threats. Learn more about how you too can live and serve part-time by visiting nationalguard.com.
0: Sponsored by the Missouri Army National Guard. Aired by the Missouri Broadcasters Association at this station. Hi, this is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Are you an investor looking to support the bold and loving work of LCMS churches? Is your church or organization ready to do bold and loving work? This year, we have a ripe opportunity to bring Christ to a hurting world. Discover the role you can play in this great work. Call 800-843-5233 or visit lcef.org. That's 800-843-5233, lcef.org welcome back to the coffee hour i'm andy bates
1: i'm sarah golseth
0: we are searching the scriptures in the february issue of the lutheran witness i believe this is page 25 in this issue and uh we are studying with pastor roy askins he's managing editor of the lutheran witness pastor you ready to go on to question four let's do it all right, so here we're zeroing in on his only son. Read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Who is the word? Who is the light entering the world? And then review John 1, 18. Who is the only God who is at the Father's side? What does this tell us about Jesus' relationship to God the Father? What does this passage teach us about Jesus' human nature? So, his only son.
2: So here's the problem. I got to reading this question and preparing it and realized that this is the standard uh, Sunday school answer. All of these questions are answered (laughs) with the same word, (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) But that's great. That's always a good thing. That's always the right answer, right? So let's dive into and read uh, this passage from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glorious of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him, and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. There is so much that could be said about this passage and this uh, these few words here. Uh, If you look, in fact, at the Lutheran Study Bible, I'm fairly certain this is one of these pages that has like three lines of Bible text at the top of each of the pages and everything (laughs) underneath it is notes, right? Uh, Because there's just so much that could be said here. Uh, But here we're going to zero in on Jesus and his uh, place as the son of God uh, and this confession that we make as a consequence of this. So, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. a confession of uh, who Jesus is and what He does with the Father. If we hearken back to Genesis chapter one, uh, verse one, we'll note that, as John is beginning here in the beginning, so also Genesis chapter one, verse one begins with in the beginning, right, and so John is here signaling that he sees what he's proclaiming as a uh, fulfillment of once again, what we see in Genesis chapter one, verse one. And he's proclaiming that in this moment of creation, God the Father is of course there, right? In the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God, but along with him is also uh, the son. Who, is, uh, who, he, who he identifies as the word. And it is through this word, you know, God speaks creation into existence, right? So it is through this word also uh, that Jesus, uh, that, that the world was created. In fact, he says exactly this in verse three, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. So Jesus is uh, the word uh, that is with God. Jesus is also uh, the light of men, right? And what does light do? It shines in the darkness and the darkness can't overcome it, right? So he is both the one through whom creation came or was made, and he is also uh, the light of the world. Now, continuing on, uh, another key passage, we're going to skip over a whole bunch uh, and jump down to actually verse 14 and kind of our our second passage. Well, maybe this isn't the second question. Oh, uh, we got to do the other one first. Review John chapter one verse uh, eighteen, um, and this is uh, identifying Jesus' part of Jesus' role as the Son of God. Right. So uh, no one has ever seen the Father, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Right. So part of Jesus' uh, responsibility and role as the Son of God, part of his. His uh, what we confess about him as the Son of God, is that he reveals the Father to us. We cannot know the Father apart from his revelation in Jesus Christ. Uh, and this is exactly what Jesus does. And he does this as the only Son from the Father uh, that we see in, in John chapter 1, verse 14. He is the only Son from the Father. In in the Nicene Creed, uh, we, we speak of uh, the only begotten, uh, light of light, uh, God of gods, very God of very God, uh, so forth and so on. Um, but this is identifying who Jesus is as the Son of God. Now, also in this passage, verse 14, we have this really wonderful phrase, uh, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. This phrase dwelt is, is, uh, is I love to discuss how this is actually the word tabernacle. So it literally means Jesus tabernacled or tinted among us in his flesh. Uh, once again, getting back to the type and anti-type, uh, the Old Testament tabernacle, was a, a preview, a type of Jesus. And Jesus now is the new tabernacle, the new place of God's presence uh, in the world for us. And now we're gonna d- dive into this much more in next month's issue when we start talking about Jesus's human nature, but today we're focusing primarily on his divine nature, but we see his divine nature as it dwells tabernacles in human flesh uh, in, uh, in his incarnation and uh, in this confession here in John chapter 1, verse 14.
1: All right. Time for the last question uh, on our Lord read Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20 to whom is all authority given upon that basis. What does the church do? And then also read. Romans 10, verses 11 through 13, Jesus rules as Lord of all. Who, what awaits those who confess him as Lord? And read Matthew twenty five thirty one through 46, who will sit as Lord over the judgment of the nations? And what confidence do Christians have for the last day? We have about three minutes for this, Pastor.
2: <laughs> we can do it. I'm confident. <laughs> okay. So let's dive right on into the first passage, uh, Matthew chapter 28, which many of you probably know. And Jesus came to them, that is to the 11 disciples, as they're uh, they're in Galilee to the mountain that he had directed them to. He comes to them and says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. While you go, therefore, while you are going, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So uh, we have spent... The the first part discussing our confession of Jesus as the the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. We also confess before the world that he is not, uh, not only the Lord of all creation, but he is in particular our Lord, the one who governs and guides and directs us. And so he does this by virtue of the fact that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Right. Uh, All authority, both as uh, the one who rules over all creation, but also authority as the one who is the head of his body, the church of which we are a part all of this authority has been given to him. I think it's also interesting to note that one of the things we pray in the Lord's Prayer is that uh, as his will is done in heaven, so also it would be done on earth. And in Jesus Christ, that prayer is fulfilled because he is the one to whom all authority has been given. He is the one that brought the will of God from heaven that it might come to take place on earth. That is, through his suffering and death that all might uh, that, that he might suffer and die for the sins of all. All of this happens in Jesus Christ. This also connects directly. Uh, we see similar language in the Philippians 2 passage that we looked at at the very beginning of the passage, right? That uh, at, at his name, all will bow, all will confess, right? He is Lord of all creation. And we have great comfort in this. Uh, it doesn't matter what's happening in the world around us, whether it's a pandemic, whatever it might be, uh, all of these things, uh, he is the Lord uh, Lord of all and and will will guide and protect us. I see we're coming up on the close of our time here. So I just want to close with, uh, he will return to judge, uh, re- return as both God and man to judge the world. And in this, we have nothing to fear because he has made us his own children. And we have nothing to be afraid of uh, as as he is the one who has, has made us his brother. And we delight to be uh, the brother of Jesus. So uh, a few more passages there that, that people can read. Um, dig into those with your pastor. I'm sure he'll love to talk about them with you. <laughs>
0: great study looking at the Apostles' Creed, the second article this month in the February issue of the Lutheran Witness. Uh, Real quick, before we go, Pastor, uh, where can we find the Lutheran Witness if folks don't have a copy of it yet? How can they do that?
2: You need to go to uh, witness.lcms.org to learn more about the Witness. Uh, If you want to purchase a copy or purchase a a subscription, go to cph.org slash witness.
0: Very good. The managing editor of the Lutheran Witness, the Reverend Roy Askins. Thanks so much for joining us on the Coffee Hour today.
2: Thank you for having me here.
0: You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golseth.